Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Courtney Emmerich, St. Paul District EEO Officer. And I'm Donnell Wright, EEO Officer for Memphis District. Today we're going to talk about some of the social challenges we have had, uh, we've been faced with, and get some perspective from two of our guests. With us today are Teresa Gaines and Maria Delandro. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about the recent social unrest in addition to COVID-19 and the events really that were sparked by the death of George Floyd. The agency has recently issued a project inclusion initiative with the purpose of you know, creating an equitable, diverse, and inclusive workplace environment and um, has directed leaders across the agency to conduct these listening sessions to provide employees the opportunity to have candid conversations about race and most importantly, to just foster a, a culture across the agency that is built on trust and uh, one that accepts the experiences, cultures, and characteristics characteristics and backgrounds that each, each soldier and civilian brings to our institution. You know, Project Inclusion has three key tasks. First is to listen. Again, we're, we're conducting these listening sessions to gain feedback from employees in order to strengthen the MDD team and really the USACE team. We want our leaders to lead with compassion and humility and ultimately to have every person throughout the agency treated with dignity and respect as we strive to live out the Army values. Janelle, do you have more to add on the project inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, I just I want to say thanks uh, for uh, inviting me to, to be a part of this. You know, uh, the project inclusion, you, you definitely uh, touched on all that. But I also want to, I want to say, uh, you know, give kudos to your district for uh, doing the things that you're doing prior to the project inclusion with the, uh, you know, the, the listening sessions, for lack of a better term, that you all been having uh, prior to that. You know, in EEO, one of the main things that uh, we always try to stress is communication and, and you know, and, and, and being, and treating people with dignity and respect. And, you know, now it's not just a catchphrase or whatever. I mean, now the, the rubber is actually meeting the road. So I, I think this is wonderful. I, I'm so proud to be a part of this, you know, and really what it comes down to, you know, something that I, I say to my folks here in Memphis District is, you know, it's a conversation that we need to have, things that need to be asked, questions that need to be answered. Uh, but definitely uh, we need to be open to what those questions are. We definitely need to be open to what those answers are as well and apply them. So absolutely, I, I'm, I'm just uh, thrilled to be here, and I, I thank you again for, for letting me be a part of this. Thanks, Danelle. We've had uh, a lot of feedback from employees from a variety of perspectives, and really here in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, with the death of, Ford, uh, of George Floyd, we have you know, a large response from our employees regarding the need not only for a discussion about civil unrest, but also about racism, what that looks like in our surroundings, whether that's society or, you know, within our organization here at USACE. 
So I just want to also thank Maria and Teresa for volunteering to provide your perspectives today. And uh, we'll start with just asking each of you a question about how have the current events around the nation involving race relations affected you and your families? Well, I can answer that one first. We live in Minneapolis, but I live on the opposite side of town of where George Floyd was actually murdered. And it honestly wasn't fun. Our grocery stores were closed for a week. There were curfews. Every night there were um, gunshots and fireworks. I think for me and my family, it was hard because a lot of these discussions we have internally within our own community. It's not really something that is talked about with at work or in those situations. So I think it was just the fact that we've had a lot of police brutality instances over the last maybe five to ten years. This was adding to the spark, and it blew, and it was it was rough. I mean, I, I know people that lost their homes to fires. Um, there's a lot of there's a huge divide between um, defund or keep the police. How do we move forward as a community? So it's been difficult, but actually it's been kind of positive for me. I got into more advocacy work, got more a lot more involved in the movement. Our community really came together, made sure people had food when the stores were closed. So um, that's the positive part. I think it brought everyone together after the initial shock of it all happening. Now, being a, 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 a black uh, female, let me, let me ask you something. You know, I, I know there's been other things that have happened prior to this. I mean, now, was this the, the straw that broke the camel's back, for lack of a better term? I mean, what, you know, what... You know, give me your input on that. I think it just was things that have been happening. There's pretty much always been a distrust for the police department in Minneapolis. I mean, you hear rumors about what happened. I'm not essentially from here, but I'm from Milwaukee, which has kind of a similar police department where it's mostly white police officers serving in um, diverse communities. So I kind of knew the interaction. But I think the problem here was that we were having very high-profile murders, like Philando Castile. I mean, he told the officer that he had the gun, and everybody saw that on Facebook Live. And that kind of catapulted, I think, the Twin Cities into the national spotlight, but it's always been there. And then you see that officer, not, nothing really happened, no punishment. The next crime happened. Uh, and then I think what really pushed towards the protest and brought the community together was when an innocent white woman was killed in South Minneapolis. So then that showed that it wasn't just black people losing their lives. It wasn't just criminals. It was, there was something else going on in the community. And now the nation was seeing that because we were starting to get more high-profile cases. And then the George Floyd video came out. And I think that in the past, the news has been able to beat kind of social media, but everybody saw that video and they're like, is he going to get up? And then it's like eight minutes later, nine minutes, he still didn't get up. And everybody saw him lose his life. It was at that point, it's like, you can't, Take, you can't say he resisted or he did this. It's like everybody saw him on the ground begging for his life. And I think that was, like you said, the straw that broke the camel's back. And also COVID was going on. People didn't have jobs. There was a lot of frustration. Um, people who were needing help, no, people were um, available during the day so they could go down to the protest. They could stay late for riots. It was, I think there was a lot of things that just came together in a horrible way. But I think it's been positive to at least for these conversations to happen. Okay, thanks. Marie, what do you think? Great. When I think about how these current events around the nation and here in the Twin Cities has affected me and my family, I have to start by reflecting on the fact that, like, me and much of my family is white. So 
so we've had a very different experience than, you know, what the black community is facing and other people of color. But at the same time, you know, my family isn't just white. We've got some relatives that are African immigrants and another that was adopted from Latin America. So it was interesting for us to realize when this happened and we're talking about it as a family that we hadn't really been discussing race like this before. We had discussed it a little bit, but it never felt quite so personal as it did all of a sudden watching. I mean, I personally didn't watch the video, but seeing the news and seeing the protests and hearing the protests go on for days, you know, within just a couple of blocks of where me and some of my other family members live. It felt very personal. We realized we hadn't really asked our black relatives, like, how do they perceive race and policing in Minnesota? Do they feel safe? And that was something really interesting where I think at first we had, you know, certain members of the family that were like, oh, but that's a Minneapolis problem. And we had to say, like, no, this isn't just happening in Minneapolis. There's Mano Castillo. And, you know, we live right by Central High School in St. Paul. There's been a lot of demonstrations centered around there for him and of his role in St. Paul Public Schools, and we're just realizing, like, this is a really big deal, and we hadn't been involved enough. You know, we had, my family has a lot of social justice volunteering that we've been doing, and we're just suddenly realizing, like, it's not enough. We need to do more. Thanks for sharing, Maria. You know, as we've been engaging employees in project inclusion discussions about race and race relations, in the agency from their personal and professional experiences, there have been a lot of really, there have been a lot of really personal stories that have been shared and each one is unique. And um, you, you made a good point about different employees have a different perspective often based on, you know, their, their race and their ethnicity. And I know I've heard stories from employees who shared you know, one of one of my colleagues is a Hispanic woman, and she's told stories about being asked whether or not she's a citizen and being asked to identify her green card in public. And that's just an experience that myself, as a white woman, you know, I've never experienced that. So I think this conversation is just really opening the door to understand how different people have a different life experience every day. What do you think, know? You know, it's funny that you said that. I, I was just sitting here thinking, I said, you know, you know, I've been asked, you know, and Teresa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you in a, in a sec, but I've been asked, you know, hey, uh, do you have a degree? You know, I've been told you speak so well. I, I, I've been said those things, I, you know, I, I've been told those things and, and I, I've even had people say stuff like, you don't act like them, or you don't act black, you know. And I'm like, well, how the heck do you act the color, you know, <laughs> and uh, who is them, you know, and, and all that. So, you know, and, and, the, re and the reason why I said three is I'm going to pick on you, because if I'm not mistaken, you're, you're the only uh, African-American female engineer there, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, so I... You know, just that in itself can be a heck of an experience. Can you 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 want to you want to talk about that? Yeah, I can talk about it. It it hasn't been easy. I mean, some of the comments you said that was said to me too. I mean, 
I was actually told that um, my master's degree wasn't going to be real because I'm taking an online program in front of someone that just congratulated me about being accepted. So that was kind of a hard one. I think what really stands out to me, I've never been really um, had anything said about my race, like a joke or something, but I've overheard some things that really showed me about the culture of the district that I didn't always experience as a black female because as a black male or as a Hispanic male, I've seen some of the experiences they had. And one story that stands out to me was when I was an intern, there was a newer employee from um, a different country, and he was getting trained in by someone that worked for our district but in a different office. So he was in the office, and he said he took some medication, and he had a dream about racial cleansing. Like, I, like in, my heart stopped in that moment, so I knew that happened to the other person. And then when he passed me, his head was down. Like, I was trying to look at him just trying to reassure him, like, it's not like that every, for everyone, with everyone, with your interactions. But for him, I, I could tell that it probably was one of the reasons why he didn't stay. It was that initial experience, that initial this introduction to what, what the culture of St. Paul can be. And I know what it feels like when you're the only one of color, the only female that walks into a room. So I knew for him that was being from a different country that had to be difficult. And then to have maybe that anxiety and at the same time being kind of like put in your place a little bit about where you stand, um, that kind of affected me as well. But I never had like an outright racist thing said to me, though. That's good. That's, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad that you, know, you didn't have to to experience that. I, I've I've had. I mean, well, I, I think I've been on this on this earth a little bit longer than you. I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had my share of I guess uh, racial moments. I, I I've seen a lot of things, you know, and it's it's kind of amazing because a lot of things have come out. As a matter of fact, Marie and I uh, had a conversation. Uh, a brief conversation about the, the gay community. Remember, we we had that conversation, and you know, uh, one of the things that I'm always preaching, you know, I'm kind of on my soapbox here, is that you know, at the end of the day, it's all about just treating people like people. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter who you fall in love with. It doesn't matter. Can you do your job? Are you being respectful to one another? That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. You know, it's just like family. You can't pick your family, but guess what? Everybody in the family is not doing things the way you'd want them to do all the time. You know, so, you know, I, I, I'm glad, again, I'm glad that you haven't experienced a whole bunch of racism in your life. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Sure. So I guess... When I first joined the Corps back in February, on my very first day, it was stood out so much that the Corps is very, very white, which I thought was interesting and was not the case at other places that I had worked. And once I got to kind of get to know folks a little bit better and kind of hear more about their roles, I was surprised, well, maybe not, (laughs) I was unfortunately not too surprised, but it was unfortunate to notice that, you know, a lot of them we're not in the higher positions, not so much in positions of leadership. And so right away, it got me thinking like, about racial equity and fairness at the core, and maybe it's not quite what we want it to be. Luckily, so everyone, in my experience, has been really nice and civil to each other. If there are gaps, they seem to be done unintentionally. And, you know, if they're brought up, folks are quick to correct. I think people here really do care about their colleagues and want to treat everyone with respect. And sometimes, you know, that just means getting to know more about a person and 
kind of going beyond stereotypes, but luckily it seems like folks are kind of starting from a good place of wanting to have a good workplace. So it looks like we do have some work to do still. So let me ask you, let me ask you both this question. Have, have, have either one of you ever served on a, a selection panel or anything like that? No. No. Marie? Not at the core. Okay. Okay. Cause, uh, and the reason why I'm asking that, you know, because uh, one of the things that was brought up here in Memphis District with the project inclusion is that they felt like the hiring practices could be improved upon. And one of the things that we do, well, in, not just in the core, I think in other agencies as well, but definitely in the core, is that those packages come to the EEO office, and one of the things that we have to look for is diversity in the panels. And to be quite honest with you, you'll never get a perfect panel. I mean, you'd have to get one of everything, and, and, and that could be a, a plethora of stuff. But I think that we do a pretty good job in the core about our panels looking a certain way and definitely uh, including as much diversity as we can in our panels. Uh, Courtney, do you want to uh, talk to you anything about that? I think that's a great point. Um, at the core, we definitely, in EEO, uh, review questions that are asked in an interview panel. And we often sit in on the interviews to make sure that the process is equitable and to ensure that everyone's given an equal opportunity. You know, as we've been conducting these sessions and project inclusion, and we've been asking employees their perspective on recruitment and uh, the selection process, I think from what I have heard from employees and from the feedback that I have received at the St. Paul District, that there's more work to be done in the recruitment phase and actually gathering a diverse applicant pool from which to choose from. It seems to be that our recruitment efforts could be improved upon in those areas. Oftentimes, a lot of the, you know, the responses I hear from, from employees and leadership really is that our workforce is pretty homogenous. There is not a lot of diversity, but what that tells me as an EEO officer is that we could be doing a much better job about making connections with minority-serving institutions and going to HBCUs and, you know, creating more networks with our veterans programs that are local to, you know, the St. Paul District, but not just local, nationally. We're a federal employer. We have the luxury of being able to recruit nationally. And I think sometimes there is maybe an attitude, I'm not sure if it's an attitudinal barrier, but it's definitely a trigger when a lot of the interviews that I'm seeing are of local applicants. So it makes me wonder, are we, re are we recruiting a national audience to, to apply for our jobs? And if we are, is it just that those applicants aren't making it to the interview process? Or is it that we need to work on building more relationships outside of the St. Paul area? Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, that, that, that's a great point. Let me ask you something, Teresa. Uh, what drew you to the St. Paul uh, district? Did somebody oh. reach out to you or is just... Well, I'd like to comment a little bit on the recruitment thing, and I'll answer that for sure. So I think actually recruitment has been where I've seen the most growth in the St. Paul District, especially since we started the Diversity Inclusion Committee. Um, 
like Courtney said, we were recruiting at the same universities and kind of the attitude was we weren't getting a diverse applicant pool because of the climate. It's too cold. But I was actually given the opportunity through the Diversity Inclusion Committee by senior leadership to recruit in Washington, D.C. at the Black Engineer of the Year Conference. But that was like the first time we were really saying, okay, we are recruiting from a diverse applicant pool on purpose. And there was some pushback. I think there was some uncomfortableness about some of the people that are hiring managers about taking on someone that might not fit into the homogenous culture of the St. Paul District. But I think that's where we're seeing some awareness about maybe there is something else going on. It's not too cold. We are maybe not doing all we can to highlight the warmer parts of the year, I guess. I think that's something where somewhere I really have seen growth. Oh, Teresa, it's too cold. It's just too cold. But <laughs> we have skyways. We don't have to walk outside. Donnell will never work there. It's too cold. It's too cold. <laughs> Maria, what about you? What, what brought you to, uh, to St. Paul? I already lived in St. Paul, and I've been reviewing USA Jobs because I know it's, getting in with the feds is such a great opportunity. Um, and it was great to see, like, here is a place that is actually, like, willing to offer opportunities. It, I got in with the DA intern program, so it was great to see somewhere local that was excited to help develop talent right here. So that was something that got me really excited about it. Knowing that there are offices all over and I could spend my whole career here, I thought that was really exciting. Great, great. Yeah, as we talk about recruitment and building connections with communities, I also think that there is opportunity for growth in the St. Paul District to build more uh, relationships with our local tribal communities. I think there's a, an entire pool of talent that we could, you know, that we could reach out to and start building those relationships and, you know, improve diversity throughout the agency and make sure that we're just providing equal opportunity for people who already are, are local in our area as well. Danelle, what do you think about diversity and why it's important? Oh, Wow. God, I feel like I'm on an interview. <laughs> Actually, one of the things that, uh, you know, and we ask that question on, on interviews, as a matter of fact, and you hear so many different <laughs> responses to that. But what's so important about diversity is that we can all learn something from one another. We can always learn something from, from one another. And when I was in the Navy, uh, I don't know if I told you all at the beginning of this, I'm I'm retired Navy chief. One, uh, when I was on board the USS Defender, we had some, uh, some nationals uh, come over, and one of my uh, sailors spoke their language. And uh, what was so cool about that is that we didn't know that before they came. So uh, our leadership on board the ship was trying to find out, how do we have anybody that speaks this particular language? My petty officer, he was an E-4 at the time, and uh, the great thing about that was that now it, it gave him an opportunity to do more than just push paper, you know, uh, push paper now. Now he's showing a skill, even though to him it was just something that, well, he did it, all, you know, he did it all the time because he grew up that way. But now that was becoming something that was becoming a virtue for him while working in the Navy. So it helped out our leadership and what they needed to do. It helped the mission. That's the beauty of diversity 
is because everybody's bringing something different to the table, and that only that that only helps the mission out. Doesn't hurt the mission; it helps the mission. I think that's the wonderful thing uh, about diversity. I don't think that we have enough conversations about diversity. I, I think people kind of shy away from those conversations. It's okay to ask questions. You're never going to know the answer to something if you don't ask the question. And I, and I think that leadership, you know, especially with what uh, General Simlai had put out with the project inclusion, I think, and, and what your all's leadership is doing and my leadership is as well, they are jumping on this uh, this bandwagon, not because it's a mandatory thing, but they really they really want to be a part of it. I'm thinking that leadership is doing a wonderful thing, and they push diversity as well. So uh, that's my canned short answer. <laughs> for Yeah, I, I, but I think that diversity, uh, it, it improves the leadership. Uh, I think it improves just the enterprise as a whole, you know. So I, I, diversity only helps. Doesn't hurt. It only helps. I couldn't agree more. You know, when we we often get asked in, working in EEO, you know, do we have quotas for diversity, right? Uh, and the answer to that is no. We there are targets. We want we just want to make sure that our workforce is diverse, and so that we can best respond to our customers. Ultimately, diversity is also more than just racial diversity. I always like to talk about diversity as diversity of thought and experience, varying viewpoints, you know, create innovation and create growth within an organization. And I couldn't agree more. I think that by leadership opening the door for these really tough discussions that I anticipate we will see growth in USACE. And that, that makes me want to ask uh, Teresa and Maria, you know, how has your leadership addressed these hard, you know, topics and relevant issues with you? So as far as diversity goes, I think that's something where kind of the events of this spring, early summer really kicked it off. You know, there wasn't a lot of talk around about diversity in the workplace beforehand. Um, in regulatory, though, we had been getting started before that, thinking, like, what can we do? We've been forming a diversity and inclusion group just because we've been recognizing even within our own program, we have things that we can improve. You know, we, you know, some of them feel small. We send out a lot of letters, dear Mr. Ms., but we don't actually know the correct title to use for folks. Sometimes we have someone that we have to write a letter to with a name like Pat that could go either way. And we want to make sure we're addressing people appropriately. And two, we also don't know if this person's legal name that they applied with fits their current gender identity. So we've just been looking at things like that, things like how can we make sure that our meetings are inclusive for people of all abilities and or disability? You know, looking at just every aspect of diversity that we can and our leadership and regulatory has been really welcoming this and seeing what we can figure out. And more broadly, it was really great to get some conversations going with the EE office and with our leadership here about race. I know at first when everything happened with George Floyd, I was a little bit shocked not to hear anything because it was so big and it affected so much of our daily lives. Like, you know, we couldn't be, you know, assured that we were going to be able to make it into work if the interstates were blocked. 
people were sad and angry and had all kinds of emotions that made it hard to just do your day-to-day job. You know, the environment that some of us were working in maybe didn't feel safe all the time from riots. Maybe some folks wanted to be out there saying that, you know, yes, we do have good, important work to do here at the core, but we can't ignore all these things that are happening in our society and we need to do what we can to change them. You know, there's a lot of that going on where at first it wasn't really addressed, but hearing it start to get addressed now, it makes me feel a lot better. You know, it's something where I think we do want to have an inclusive workplace where everyone, no matter their race, feels welcome. And then there's other issues too, like the other aspects of diversity, like Courtney was mentioning, like if we're not going to talk about race, are we going to talk about LGBT issues? Are our LGBT is going to feel supported and our LGBT customers, do we know how to interact with them? So that's all really important to me. So it was really reassuring, like when we got a training that went out that had the dead name of a trans person, you know, leadership was acting quickly to figure out what happened and what was an appropriate course of action. And to me, it was a big relief there to see that the training got sent out again with the correct name and an apology. Like that means a lot to me that You know, it's a hard topic. I can respect it's a hard topic. We don't know how to discuss it. We don't always know if the workplace is the right place to talk about it. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. It is relevant to us, whether at home or at work. Like, it means a lot that even if it's something hard, people are at least trying, and when they get feedback, doing their best to implement it. And it sounds like we're even starting to be a little bit more proactive, looking at what we can do better in the future. So that's something that makes me feel better about working here at the core. And it makes, you know, just personally as an LGBT person. And it also makes me feel better to know that my colleagues are hopefully uh, feeling more comfortable or at least on a path where they will be more comfortable. I agree. I think leadership was very reactive to issues. I think it was better. Well, the outlook was maybe to appease the majority. You might offend some people in the minority but it's better to keep the peace. And I think a lot of racial issues, gender identity issues, those things weren't discussed because there wasn't really a lot of pushback. People might roll their eyes by if they see an email that's offensive in in a a way that everybody else wouldn't recognize. But I think that I've also seen a lot of growth in leadership because now we're discussing these things. I think that kind of lessened the blow of the George Floyd situation because people weren't scrambling to try to figure out how do we schedule these meetings? How do we discuss these things? I think some of that was already getting worked out, especially the... I think maybe at first leadership was maybe uncomfortable even talking about these issues, especially if they weren't a person of color or someone who's from an underrepresented group. But I think some of the things that we've been doing the past couple of years really helped ease that transition. I think it could have, I think if leadership was maybe more proactive in, in saying, calling it what it was, George Floyd was murdered. I think if that, if maybe a more um, vocal stance was taken, that would have helped. But at the same time, I understand kind of the politics of being a government agency and our leadership is the military. So how, like, how do you discuss those things? Where, where do you push a little and where do you ease back? So I think that leadership has been much more supportive of acknowledging that some, if someone comes to them with an issue, there may be an underlying um, bias or something else going on. People might not be sensitive or not have the communication skills to discuss these things or approach their coworkers if they're, offended, but I think that I think it's getting better overall. And that's kind of exciting to know that I can stay in a place where I feel like it is getting better and people are trying their best. 
to make sure that the environment is inclusive. Because, I mean, focus diversity automatically helps with inclusion because people aren't walking to a space and they're not the only ones. So I think um, these discussions, although they're difficult to have, um, and probably haven't, some people have probably never had these conversations in our district, I think overall it's a great start. And we have a lot of momentum, I think, going in the right direction where people are feeling more comfortable even talking to their coworkers about, like, checking in, how do you feel about this? Well, that I don't think was, wasn't going on before. We kind of had to come together as a community more. Yeah, I, great. Uh, thank you. I, I, I will say this, being so close to uh, leadership as, a, as an EEO officer, uh, you know, I'm constantly, and, and, and Courtney can, uh, will tell you the same thing, we are constantly talking to leadership. There's a lot of conversations you all don't, you know, you're not privy to, but I can tell you, I know just based on, you know, like I said, the, the listening sessions or the conversation that you guys had back in September, I know your leadership cares. My leadership cares, you know, and 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 I wish that there was a little bit more transparency and, and you, you mentioned politics and, and all that. And, and it's kind of unfortunate because, you know what, at the end of the day, I mean, they are just people just like you and I, you know. So, I mean, they wear a uniform, but they, they have to be concerned about, uh, I'll, I'll pick on my boss, uh, Commander uh, Zachary Miller. Yeah, Commander Zachary L. Miller. That's right. I said it. He sent something out to our district, and, uh, and in his email, he talked about how he paused, you know, because he did not want to come off disingenuous. You know, uh, he wanted people to know that, hey, he really is affected by this. I wish people could be a fly on the wall and hear the conversations that I have with my commander, my deputy, my chief of staff. I wish they could do that, you know, and, and really find out that it's just not, again, it's not catchphrases. It's not about, well, we got to tell the troops something and we got to put on the It's really not about that. I mean, they really worry about those things. So, uh, you know, I, I want to put that out there because I want you to know that I know of at least two leaderships, St. Paul and Memphis District, I know they genuinely care and they're really trying to do something. I, I'm going to stop talking so much because we're, we're getting close to uh, the end. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it back to Courtney and let Courtney uh, kind of finish it up for us. Thanks, Danelle. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, leadership, one of the themes that has come out from the listening sessions that we have conducted so far in the St. Paul district is the fact that leadership sets the tone for the organization. And I love how you, you know, you pointed out that our leaders are just people too. And I couldn't agree more that I've had some very difficult conversations with our leaders. And, you know, quite frankly, often we're not always sure what the best, response is in a lot of these situations and just reminding ourselves that um, we're just people trying to make sure that we're putting our team first and that we're, you know, communicating that we're compassionate and we empathize with our colleagues. I have one more question that I just want to make sure that I pose to Teresa and Maria because I feel like it's important. Do you have any expectations of leadership when it comes to having these discussions in our workplace? 
And, you know, what would you expect or what is it that you think leadership could improve upon? I think that I don't really have expectations anymore because through the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, it actually had us, gave us a seat at the table to actually speak with senior leadership. So I, I can see, like, that they care. They really care about our ideas and help us brainstorm how they can help. So I think my expectations were that there was more um, open discussion about um, how increasing diversity efforts could affect um, the person coming in. So I think that there's been a lot of support for the sponsorship program, things like that, making sure that people feel um, included. So I think that my expectations were that there was something in place, but now that there's a diversity and inclusion committee, um, that there's a way for a person at any level to voice their concerns to leadership in an informal way with peers that um, can support them in that discussion. I think that met my expectations, actually exceeded my expectations for, especially for St. Paul District, being as not being as diverse as it is, there really has been a lot of discussion about how do we change that? How do we change the culture to make it more inclusive and a positive working environment for everybody? I think it's been good. Thanks so much for that feedback, Teresa. Maria, what are your thoughts? I agree with a lot of the points that Teresa made. I think it's great that leadership is kind of engaging in a new way, and it, you know, I'm excited to see what comes from it. And I want to challenge leadership, but also just everyone at the core to just with all of their interactions, start from a place of compassion, respect, and curiosity. Just acknowledge the possibility that others have a different experience than you. Do your best to educate yourself on diversity issues. Engage, listen to others, and give others a space to be their own person and not make assumptions based on how they look or their identity group. So if we do this, I think we can create a more inclusive workplace and just it's okay for everyone to make mistakes. I think sometimes people don't engage because they're afraid of that. So please give yourself the space to try, make some mistakes. We're all human. We're all learning to be more inclusive and respectful together. And this is a group journey. I hope that leadership really takes that to heart, but I also hope that everyone at the core does. Oh, Marie, you stole my thunder. That was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was absolutely I going to say that. Yeah, I was actually. That was great. That was good. It really was, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Supervisors, especially, you know, I love that challenge that, you know, don't be afraid of your subordinates. Don't be afraid of your people. Talk to your people. Have those conversations. Absolutely, Maria. I, I love what you said. You know, again, you're never going to know the answer if you don't ask the question. Uh, or, or you're never going to know what's going on if you don't have those conversations, you know. And, again, we have so much stuff going on. we got COVID, you know, and, and, and from COVID, you know, this is something that a lot of us hadn't had to deal with this before. These are some really, really difficult times. I mean, you, you have the social unrest and you throw COVID on top of that. Just make sure that, like you said, that you're checking in and, and definitely checking in on one another. I, I work with CISM, uh, the critical uh, Incident Stress Management Team. I'm uh, the uh, program manager for MVD, and we got some great people on there. And please, you know what? Utilize your CISM. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, some other things. Uh, take advantage of the, uh, the the CAP program, which one of those things, I mean, you can, uh, you can request uh, reasonable accommodations through that program and all that. So EAP, take it, you know, take advantage of all those things that the core pays for that you should be taking advantage of because it's, you know, we want the wellness of our people to come first. Courtney, I'm going to hush. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank so, you. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me here today. I appreciate appreciate you, uh, Teresa, Maria, you guys being involved in this, and this has been great. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Janelle. Yeah, I am so excited to be a part of the core and to be a part of changing the organization into one that is uh, more inclusive and accepting of everyone. Project inclusion is really, you know, opening the door to have difficult conversations. These conversations are not easy, but they're, they're designed to allow us to have that flow of communication to improve our transparency between, you know, line staff and supervisors and to make sure that if we have problems or concerns or issues across our organization, that we're looking into them and we're looking for ways to improve ourselves and to innovate, to just, you know, be a better organization overall. And I am so proud to be a part of the EEO community here, and I agree that there are so many resources that are available to employees. I echo Danelle's sentiments. We also have our CISM team. If you're experiencing any concerns, feel free to reach out to any of our EEO partners, uh, your CISM representatives, you know, chaplains, EAP. Right now with COVID-19, we're in, a, we're in an unprecedented, stressful time. And we recognize that and leadership recognizes that. And I just want to thank Teresa and Maria so much for your candid thoughts and your willingness to volunteer to share your personal and professional experiences regarding racism. And I just, I thank you for, for joining us today. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you. We want to know what topics are important to you, and, you know, we're interested in hearing from you. So until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.